Hey, I'm Jeanette Bordeaux, and you're listening to the Broken to Breakthrough podcast, where we highlight stories from people who have overcome mental and emotional struggles. My mission is to empower others to challenge the unfair stigma surrounding these important topics. Here's today's episode. So, hey, Greg, thank you so much for being on this podcast. I so appreciate you coming on here and willing to share your story. So for everyone listening, Greg is Cash Chat Snap. Um, he talks about finances and really helps people get hashtag money woke. So Greg, can you tell us a little bit about what you do and how you help people get money woke? Well, uh, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. And, uh, I, well, one thing I do is I play on social media a lot, and I like to think of it as digital recess because uh, no one can do it wrong. Um, but uh, with that, I actually also build what I call digital sandcastles. As soon as they're built, they get knocked down. And you mentioned Cash Chat Snap is where I started about two years ago. I'm actually in a rebranding process right now, and I'm going under the name Greg Chats Cash these days just to put my name a little bit into the into the name itself, but that's just a quick tip for those of you who want to be influencers out there. Add your name to it in some way. But um, as far as what I do, I'm a, a social media storyteller and financial educator on different forms of social media because I really believe the importance of financial literacy. And a couple of years ago, I came to um, financial education late in life and was really surprised at how little is taught to us as we grow up. And so whenever I see a problem, I get frustrated, but then try to jump into action to see how I can be supportive of solving that problem. And so I looked at social media and saw a great opportunity to make short, often silly video and audio content in ways to share financial tips and tricks. But rather than just do a presentation, I like having conversations. I really want to have one-on-one chats with people and help them figure out what their next steps are to get, like you said, money woke and really build kind of a wealth health mentality because, you know, with anything practice makes better and it takes time. So it's all about building those healthy habits. And, uh, during my day job, actually, why I'm excited to talk with you today is my day job currently is in behavioral health and therapy. And I work with kids in group and individual sessions, working in conjunction with their therapist to build healthy habits in their lives. And a lot of them are dealing with all sorts of uh, medical concerns and mental health issues like depression. Wow. See, I, that's crazy because I didn't even know that. But as soon as you said you work with kids, I was like, oh, yes. <laughs> like, that is so you. <laughs> No, my gosh, I didn't even know that. So this is awesome. And that's what, like we talked before the podcast, that's what's so interesting about this is that the first time I talk to people, I learn so much about their life, um, which I can't say that that happens on an everyday basis. So it's really amazing um, opportunity. So, yeah. So well, it's, it's interesting you say that because that's one of the parts of social media that I think we really need to be more aware of as we go forward is that we're really just getting such a small snapshot of people, who they are, and what's going on in their lives. And a lot of times on social media, it looks all-encompassing. It feels like, oh, this is how I identify this person. This is who they are. This is what they do. And really, it's such a small bit of what's going on in their lives. And, you know, uh, a couple of people call it a, a highlight reel, you know. It's just kind of the fanciest, shiniest stuff that we put out there. And, you know, when it comes to mental health, it's often not a topic that's really discussed, much like money habits and money health. Oh, yeah, uh, you're totally right. I love the highlight real term. That's awesome because I think that's so true. Um, there's, yeah, it's like 
oh, I post a picture on social media and you know everything about my life. <laughs> it's like, no. Um, exactly. And, but exactly. yeah, I think um, that's so true is that, you know, the, I mean, who wants to talk about depression on social media? It's not a fun topic. And that's something that I've talked about with some of the other people I've interviewed. I was like, depression isn't fun to talk about. But that's what I want mm. to really make this podcast about is how can we talk about it in a way that it's open and real and honest, but it's not so that we're just swimming in the fact that, oh, we're dealing with it, but how can we overcome it and how can we look at it differently? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And that, and that's such a tricky thing. As you said before, it's hard to address this on social because so many of us as consumers of social media come on to, uh, we come on to social media to be entertained, to, you know, uh, take a step away from the day to day a lot of times to, to have some sort of, uh, you know, fun value to it. So that can be a really intense topic to dive into when people are, you know, trying to unwind with a little bit of Instagram scrolling, you know, <laughs> right? <laughs> definitely. That could be a lot to handle. Um, so yeah, I would love to hear more about kind of like your day to day and how you're helping, um, these children. Cause I know, like you said, you're on social media, you know, you, I've watched all of your stuff. Um, you have amazing, amazing content and just super informative, super entertaining. And I think that, you know, the point that we talked about earlier is that they see the highlight reel, but you know, I don't get to see, you know, Greg working with kids that have these real issues that they're dealing with. Sure. Yeah. Um, when it comes down to it, it's, uh, that the, one of the hardest parts about depression is that, there's oftentimes feelings of isolation and, and, you know, with that, it can be really difficult to want to put that out there. Um, and in my day to day, I work with kids, like I mentioned, and in the groups that we run, while they are not therapeutic groups, they're called rehabilitation groups. We work on interpersonal skills, healthy habit building, and the therapeutic goals that they set with their therapists. Um, we'll try to try to translate those goals into actionable steps for the kids along the way. For example, uh, different habits in our lives that can physiologically help our well-being. You know, I talk a lot about the importance of the habits that we have with our health um, and our bodies when it comes to things like sleep, really important square meals a day, um, and making sure we're drinking lots of water, that, that we're doing things to be kind to ourselves and to our bodies. Just on that level alone makes such a huge difference in how we think, how we feel, and how we interact with people day to day. A lot of times with any type of behavioral health concerns, it can be really tricky to figure out exactly, okay, is this depression or what is the diagnosis? And with all of that, I would say that I am not someone who does the assessments level, uh, the therapeutic assessment level of what the medical mental health uh, concern might be. But when it comes down to it, there's a lot of connection and overlap with what we see for signs and symptoms. For example, you know, you might come across something like a depressed mood but it may not just be depression. There can be a lot of other diagnoses that are tied to that. Um, you know, uh, any type of bipolar concerns and such, uh, for example. But uh, and, and depressed moods can also be um, temporal and temporary in things like significant loss in our lives. You know, when we lose a, a cherished loved one. And when it comes to depression, it's about the persistence of these feelings. So when it comes to what we're looking at, like as far as the DSM, 
uh, is concerned with defining depression, it has a lot to do with how long is this sustained? Is it happening over two weeks or more? Is this a consistent feeling? Are we feeling these types of like um, these uh, insomnia or like oversleeping every day? Uh, is there a feeling of loss of energy? Is there feelings of, you know, suicidal thoughts possibly even? And they're occurring in some form almost every day. And so when it comes to that stuff, that can be a really, really hard topic to talk about. Um, but with that, it's about trying to make it approachable and reaching out to someone. Because when it comes down to it on social media, one of the things that I think about a lot when it comes to these mental health concerns mm -hmm. is our connections with social media you know, quote unquote friends is fleeting often besides our friends and family that we spend our days with in real life and are connected with on social media, we can build up these huge followings, these huge groups of friends and community on social. And the day that we stop posting is the day that we stop communicating with these people. And this is one of the concerns that, you know, being a newbie, I'm, you know, I call myself a newbie to social media because I've been active and really pursuing this for the last two years. But being a newbie to social media, but being experienced in mental health concerns, I look at it and go, okay, if I stop posting, no one is going to reach out and be like, hey, is everything okay? That really doesn't happen on the regular. Mm -hmm. So it's really important to realize that social media and internet connection is not going to be the answer to solving mental health issues. But... It can be, like you're doing here, a really great place to start to make that conversation more comfortable. Yeah, I love that you said that. There's so many questions now that I have. <laughs> but, um, mm. yeah, I love that you said that because I, you know, I, I, you know, as someone that creates content all the time, my content is mostly focused on Instagram because that's what I do. You know, I teach courses, all that stuff. And then occasionally I'll post like a very vulnerable post about my life talk about, you know, different things I've dealt with depression or self-discovery and like all that stuff. And you're so right. It's like it, no one, no one has ever reached out to me. Um, uh, but when I, what's been really interesting to see is that your followers and like all these people that you think that, you know, are invested, I guess, in you at the same time, it's like, you know, when I posted those, I had more strangers reach out to me and say, are you okay? <laughs> and I was like, yeah. yeah, I was like, yeah, I really appreciate, you know, reaching out. But, you know, it's, it's, for me, it was just like being vulnerable to tell my story because I know that it's going to help somebody else um, rather than yeah. like a cry. Like it wasn't necessarily a cry for help, but I could totally see how people would see that or at least care enough. So that's, uh, that's really interesting, that aspect. But yeah, I definitely don't think that, it's the answer, but like sharing your story and being authentic online, I think helps create a more vulnerable space online for people to feel comfortable to share something that they're going with or ask for help. Yeah. Yeah. And with, with what you mentioned before about the strangers reaching out, when we do get these responses, it can often feel kind of, uh, you know, it's, it's nice to get that feedback. But I, as soon as you said that, my first thought was it's kind of like a sugar high. Where, yeah, it's great because you get these one-word responses, but oftentimes the people reaching out who are concerned uh, may not be trained in any type of mental health profession, may not be able to go beyond just checking in with you. And so that can feel good, but then at the same time, 
over time, that doesn't have a long-term sustainability to dealing with some of the issues that you may be struggling with, you know, the challenges. Not to say people have issues, because we all have issues. (laughs) Right? (laughs) Everyone's got problems, 100%. Um, Exactly. Yeah, and just going back to, like, what you were saying, um, you're helping the kids every day, like, really form better habits. So I think that's something that's amazing, and really that – I think all kids of all, like, no matter if they're even struggling, I feel like that all children should go through that because I think that's something that's hugely lacking just, you know, in those important development stages is really understanding your emotions and feelings and how, you know, like you said, physiologically, how that affects your mood and is it something that you should be concerned about? So how, one... How do, how do, I guess, even kids and even people right now, like in entrepreneur state adults, how do we form those better habits and become more aware? Yeah, that, that's really important to, to look into and to talk about. When it comes down to that stuff, it's about reaching out offline a lot of times, too. Um, it's about talking directly with the people who are most uh, involved in your life, uh, those friends and family who care about you most, and letting them know where you're at. And this can be, that alone can be such a huge step and a difficult one to make, too, because it it's a moment of extreme vulnerability when you start talking along those lines. As far as the ways to access care, um, I, you know, one of the things that I think a lot of people aren't aware of. Uh, those folks who have access to things like Medicare, um, who have some sort of high needs but have access to um, to you know free healthcare in some way uh, or subsidized healthcare in some way, are oftentimes really have a ton of available resources if you tap into that. For example, going to a local behavioral health or mental health provider and just filling out an application. A lot of times you just walk in the door, fill out one page, and then you'll have an assessment appointment set up and you'll sit down with a therapist, a counselor, a psychologist, uh, and sit down and have a kind of like, you know, a little question and answer session where they can take a look at you as a medical health professional. It's kind of like a doctor visit where you go in and you just chit chat. Um, the nice part is it's usually not as cold and analytical as your typical doctor's office. Um, but that, that's really what gets, it's about getting that ball rolling and that can be really, really hard, but so important to do so important. And knowing, knowing that you are not alone, that is one of the things that I think is most important because so many of us have different, uh, spaces in our lives where we're dealing with mental health issues. Um, and when it comes down to it, none of us are as smart as all of us. And so there's always places to reach out for help. And here's the thing is if you end up going to one of these, uh, mental health facilities and checking, uh, out to see if, uh, you might have some access to resources. If you end up with a therapist or a counselor that you're like, you know what, I just don't vibe with this person. It's well within your right to be like, hey, is there anyone else I could talk to? This person and I really aren't connecting on a level that I'm feeling like they're hearing me or giving me actionable steps along the way. Um, So really, that's the first step is really one, talking to family and then two, just looking around your local community and being like, is there a place I could get a little bit of help and resources? 100%. You touched on so many, so many important points. One, it definitely 
I think that um, knowing that you can, there are more options than just that one. Because what I see a lot of times is people will try it and maybe it, they, like you said, they find that counselor that they didn't vibe well with or it just was weird or it may have even just been that it was just so difficult because it is hard when you start exploring these emotions that you may have not dealt with before. Or maybe they're new emotions that you don't really understand and you're trying to get that clarity. So sometimes that's difficult too and people just give up off the first time. But I, so that's really, yeah. really important that you realize that you do have options. And another thing is that, hundred percent agree with you that the first step is definitely you know the most important but it is at like for me who went through depression and I went and saw a counselor for six months that first step was honestly so hard for me because honestly what I felt was um some this I all created in my mind of course this guilt and shame around it like Oh, because I have to go see a counselor. There's something wrong with me. Like for me, that's what my experience was. And I was in like this kind of utter denial that, you know, I needed help. I was just fine. And I feel like definite. And I was, this was 21 at the time I was in college and I didn't have another way. Like I knew I had to do something. So that's what made me go to my counselor and completely change everything. And it was the best thing that's ever happened to me. But, you know, I didn't tell anyone that I was going to a counselor because I was like, there was so much shame associated with it for me. Absolutely. There's such a stigma around mental health. That's that's one of the things that I'm really glad that you're starting this conversation here with your podcast and just the amount of movement I'm seeing for that conversation to be a little more comfortable. A hundred percent. Yeah. So how do you think how do you think that? People can really take the first step because, you know, I don't think personally I really know the right answer because I think that's what the hardest thing is that and, you know, why suicide suicide rates are so high is because people know that they need help, but they're not taking the first step and because they're scared or they don't know how or they, you know, they just don't know or they just, you know, there's so many reasons why. Or they're insecure. So, and like for me, like I said, it would just felt like I had no other choice. So, yeah. But for other people, what do you think that is really going to help them? Like, how can they really get comfortable with just taking that first step? Yeah. And a lot of times uh, it can be, I, like I said, through a loved one. And I would actually ask you, what, uh, what brought about that first step for you in your journey? Yeah. Honestly, like I said, it was just that. I felt like I had no other choice. Like I was like, I cannot (laughs) for me, whenever, you know, I realized, um, my depression and what was happening. And I honestly didn't understand, like, that's literally what my experience was, is that I didn't understand my emotions. Like I didn't understand what was happening. I didn't understand my anxiety attacks. I just thought I was going crazy. And I was like, I need help. (laughs) Like, I was like, I got to figure out what the hell is going on with me because I can't live another day like this. And so I was like, I have to go to a counselor. And so luckily at my college, um, I, you know, they had, I could get, I had insurance, you know, I could go to my, I had a counselor, I had access to a counselor. So I just booked with her. And yeah, she just really helped, if any, I guess if for anyone listening, if you've never, if you're kind of like, oh my God, I don't want to just go see another doctor. It's going to tell me what's wrong with me. It really wasn't like that. Like for me, I was really fortunate um, that I had a counselor that just listened to me and really helped me understand what I was feeling. So it wasn't this 
foreign, scary thing anymore. It was something that I could understand and process. And so that's why it, you know, worked so well for me in helping me really overcome depression. It's not that it was instantly fixed in six months. There was a lot of inner work to do. But at the same time, that changed, like it helped me so much. And so that's why I always push people to get professional help. But, you know, I didn't want to go do that. Like I would even think about canceling my sessions weekly, but it's just because I, I wasn't in the mood to deal with those, you know, emotions because it didn't feel good, but it's necessary. Yeah. Yeah, And I, I think what you struck on there is really important. A couple points. One being that, um, knowing that counselors, therapists, and people in mental health, they are not there to tell you what to do. They're mostly going to be there to listen and then guide you in the directions that might be right for you. Because all of us are going to deal with this in different ways. All of us are going to experience it in different ways, and all of us are going to deal with it in different ways. And so knowing that going in the door, it's not going to be an outlined plan of action that they give you, but you'll help. In fact, the therapeutic goals that you set up with any type of counselor or therapist are collaborative. It's a conversation that develops those goals over time. And the other point that you mentioned there is, six months, that's a great place to start. And most behavioral health and therapy programs have a minimum of six months that you're really getting involved. And yeah, it can feel like, oh, I'm making this huge commitment. Like you said, it can feel really daunting to be like, I got to go again. I got to go again. It's about that healthy habit building, but then recognizing that, you know, whether it's six months or a couple of years, even if you move away from active counseling and therapy, those feelings don't go away. They're a part of our lives, and it's about recognizing them for what they are and dealing with them in different ways, whether it's personally or possibly through some sort of medication. These, these things are not, um, not just like a problem solved. They're, they're something to learn to live with and deal with and recognize them for what they are. That's really important to recognize. Yeah, so totally. What I would say as, as far as for those out there who feel like, yeah, I, I identify with some of your stuff that you're saying and I still don't know what to do, my recommendation is absolutely reach out to loved ones um, because when it comes down to it, they care about you and uh, and and they're going to help you. And if you even just go to someone and say, I don't know what to do and this is what I'm feeling, that is such a huge step. Because saying I don't know is another really hard step when we're feeling vulnerable, uh, when we're not sure of what to do. So being able to go to someone and say I don't know, um, they may not know either right away, but if you have someone in your life that you look up to uh, that's a mentor, um, they are not going to shame you for these feelings because as a mentor they recognize the value of who you are and what you've done and want to help so uh, that's my recommendation i like that what you mentioned there especially at the college level there is access to mental health counselors at almost every single college and university that i've ever come across it's super important to try to access that when you can and recognize like i said before that the person that you talk to first second or third doesn't necessarily have to be the person you talk to on a regular basis. In fact, many of the times, people who do the initial assessment or initial interview with you end up not being your counselor in the long run either. They usually are assigned someone else. And if you, like I said, if you feel that, you know, you're just not vibing with that person, um, you know, you can easily ask for an alternative uh, counselor. For example, one of the things I love to do is 
almost every single session I run with any kids, even though, like I said once before, I'm not a therapist, but I run what are called rehabilitation sessions. Mm -hmm. And with that interpersonal skills and healthy habit building, I make it a point not to spend our time in an office. You know, we're going to be outdoors. We're going to be in the community. We're going to try to find ways to empower people to find help and healthy habits once the sessions are over. So it's about, you know, building that structure of, okay, how do you spend your day to day? Who do you talk to? How do you start your mornings? How do you end your evenings? Things like that. It's about all that stuff. That's really what I, and you know, just a, a quick tip. Uh, it, and this is not a, this is not a, a, um, a prescription for depression, but just one of the ideas I came across recently that I've been trying to think about positivity and alert in mood. Uh, I came across this idea recently of starting your morning when you're in the bathroom, making giant smiles and looking yourself in the eye. Even if you're not feeling happy, forcing yourself to smile over and over again for like a minute or two, right to start the day, it actually has quite an effect. It's kind of a little bit of that fake it till you make it kind of plan, but I, I mean, and like I said before, this is not a diagnosis or um, this is not a prescription, but it's definitely something to worth trying. I've, I can't believe how much it's been helping me and just feel a little bit more energetic and positive to kick off my day. I do that even before my cup of coffee. In fact, I've met some people who have swapped out their coffee for that practice. They got rid of coffee and just spend two minutes smiling in the mirror every morning. Oh my God. That's awesome. Oh man. Yeah. I, I may, oh, that'd be tough to give up my coffee for that, but maybe I can combine it. Oh yeah. Yeah. I'm totally, I'm still on the combining phase at this point. Yeah. Coffee, coffee is one of those, uh, is one of those, you know, caffeine is one of those drugs that I'd like to remove from my life. I've definitely removed it in the form of sodas, but I have yet to give off the coffee. <laughs> Literally same. I'll, maybe maybe next year. Maybe 2018. <laughs> um, no, this is so awesome. And I love this conversation that we're having. It's just so important, everything that we've mentioned. Um, and, yeah, I want to kind of – I have always I, – I just started this, actually, have asking, like, three questions um, kind of at the end of the interview. Um, and that is that, um, just kind of what's something that, you know, now, um, that you wish you would have known, um, back, you know, maybe whenever you just started working with the kids, you started, maybe when you first started cash Chat snap, what's something that you wish, you know, now that you wish you could go back and tell yourself then? Sure. Um, I would even say that, you know, something I didn't mention is I've dealt with depression myself. You mentioned in college, that is a huge area that this happens. And when it comes to working in behavioral health, when it comes to, um, uh, you know, dealing with depression, the, the you are not alone idea. It, it pops into my mind all the time because when it comes to these feelings, we feel so isolated and knowing you are not alone. In fact, you are amongst many of us. Many of us are dealing with this, and many of us don't know how to talk about it. And it can come from all sorts of different aspects of life. It usually comes, not usually, it, it can come from things like, for example, not feeling in control of things in your life. Um, this is actually one of the reasons you mentioned Cash Chat Snap. Um, 
That's why I'm talking about financial literacy online is because this can have a hugely depressive feeling. This can be really discouraging. Money matters can be extremely stressful. We can feel super isolated. We feel a lot of blame and shame because most of us are never taught this stuff and we're just expected to succeed with uh, finances and such. So I would say right away, if anything, if all anybody listening, if you're feeling any types of things like depressed mood, feeling sad every day, if you're feeling like fatigue on a daily basis, having trouble sleeping, you're, you're having reoccurring thoughts of death or dying, you know, maybe suicidal ideation, but just these ideas almost on a daily basis. If you're having these things of like, you know, diminished interest in your life, these may be signs of depression and knowing that, whoa, maybe, maybe I have, and, and it's not a stigma. Uh, like it's, it's just an idea. It's just a word. And it's a word that doesn't clearly define all the different ways that it can be affecting us. So know that you're not alone in these hard times and just try to figure out the smallest step towards letting other people know how you're feeling so that you can take action. I love that. Yes. And I think that you just hit like so many points there as well is that depression, um, it, it can, it's, there's always a reason for it. If that makes sense, there's, there is something that's happened or, I mean, I know that some people do, I don't want to speak, you know, just try to generalize because I know that people do have, um, um, actual issues and stuff that, you know, they were born with and different stuff like that. So I don't want to generalize. Absolutely. Yeah. So, but for the most part, in most cases that depression is caused by something. And so really thinking about the why, like what, why would I be feeling this way? And so you don't feel so, oh, I'm just depressed and feel almost helpless. Yeah. And it's important to also recognize with that, as you try to explore the why, it's okay to say, I don't know. Because that's the other part is when we feel depression or when folks can feel these, uh, you know, these strong feelings, we ask ourselves why we may not recognize why it's happening because we're so in our lives, whether it's internal or external causes, um, these things aren't always obvious to us until we, that's one of the reasons I love working as a mental health uh, clinician and working with mental health clinicians. I've seen people myself because a lot of times those people, like I say to the kids I work with, I am a mirror. What I'm going to do is I'm going to hold up a mirror and let you know with positive encouragement, here's what I see. Are you seeing this? Do you recognize that this is some of the choices that may be affecting your life? And a lot of times the kids will have an aha moment like, whoa, I didn't, yeah, you're right. I totally am constantly putting myself down. And they don't even recognize it. Uh, And this can be really, really powerful to have someone help reflect back a little bit of what they see is going on and then give you small actionable steps along the way on how to how to work on that. Whether, like I said before, it's external, like developing healthy sleeping habits and healthy eating habits, or whether it's internal with just dealing with past trauma um, or possibly even stuff like temporary or long-term medication. There are places for this. And I am a huge fan of trying to work outside of medication, but at the same time, there is totally an acceptable place for taking some forms of medication, either temporarily or long-term when it comes to, that's another stigma for sure. So it's Mm -hmm. definitely something that you're not alone and it's okay to do this stuff. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's so awesome. And I think that 
Um, again, so many points. You're <laughs> like just like <laughs> it's awesome. Um, like when Kit is, you know, being a kid, you may you don't have that emotional maturity. So having that support of you know an adult that's been there um, to reflect those back is so so important. And I think that's what also adults tend to forget is that maybe they didn't have, you know, there wasn't an adult right there helping them see the things that they were struggling with as a child, but they continue on in their adult life and how that causes some of that pain that they just never deal with. Yeah, absolutely. You're totally on point there. It's that it it ends up being a cycle that we don't even realize we're in. Yeah, it's just insane. And that's kind of, I also wanted to get more, like learn more about you because, you know, it's, I love, you know, your take on, you know, the education of money, how we, especially as entrepreneurs, right? We can get so insecure about how much money we made this month. What's, do we hit our goals? All of that. Cause you know, obviously we're somewhat a perfectionist and we all have like those bigger goals and bigger dreams. Um, so I want to, I just love that you took on that, but how did you get involved with also working with children and like your, your past depression? How does that all come together? Well, so uh, one of the, one of the ways that this actually ties a little bit into what I do for, uh, you know, before I got into mental health therapy, uh, and working with kids in therapeutic settings, it's been in alternative education settings. I am someone who did fairly well in traditional academia, mostly through high school, because I knew how to work the system. But all in all, traditional academics has been a really difficult area of my life. And in fact, when when it comes down to it, it took me 17 years and eight months to finally finish my bachelor's degree, because I spent most of my adult life working as an alternative, non-traditional educator. You may have heard of programs like Knowles or Outward Bound. Long story short, I've spent years working in outdoor education, mostly in expedition-based programs, working with kids on team building, healthy habit building, leadership skills, and just that interpersonal development that you spoke on that we're not doing enough of in the day-to-day academic settings. And so as an alternative educator, I'm constantly looking at the world and going, okay, I know I don't excel in that traditional setting, so I know there's others out there. How can I reach them? When I came across social media, uh, specifically Snapchat two years ago, I've been I've been one of those persons, people who is pretty tech savvy in general. I tend to grab up my my name on any user name of any new platform that comes out. But then for most of my adult life, I've not put any content out there. When I came across Snapchat a couple of years ago, I looked at it and said, I can teach on this. I can make short, silly videos. And as you can tell, I'm really long winded. So Snapchat is perfect for me to try to be concise and deliver just actionable steps. And like I said before, having that experience in mental health and therapeutic uh, interpersonal skills, uh, coming into this platform or coming into any social media platform to talk about financial education, I'm not here to tell people how to get rich. I'm here to help them feel better about their money situations. And I'm also someone who recognizes none of us are as as smart as all of us, which is why, for example, I loved it when you came on and did a takeover because it's all about sharing our different perspectives and our journeys and recognizing that, yeah, we're not all going to get it right. In fact, when it comes down to it, I'm actually going to be moving away from my full-time job in behavioral health and therapy in the new year at the end of February. I'll be um, moving out of that full-time position because I want to figure out ways to continue to teach online 
mostly with um, financial education. But with that said, I recognize that, you know what, this is, um, I, I, I firmly believe in multiple streams of income because when it comes down to it, uh, free financial education doesn't really pay bills. <laughs> when I'm giving it all away for free, it's really hard to make any money off that. Mm -hmm. So what I'm going to be doing in the meantime is substitute teaching in the local school districts, working part-time with my current job, and trying to supplement our income that way, which also gives me another opportunity to reach out directly to kids in the community and adults because – when it comes down to it, for every kid I teach, I feel like there's a parent standing over that kid's shoulder being like, huh, I didn't know that either. Because like I said, no blame, no shame. We're not taught this stuff when it comes to how to deal with our money in healthy ways, how to build up financial security, how to build up – I mean just the stress alone of this time of year. There's just this constant barrage of expectations to spend on ourselves and each other that is just – in my mind, a little bit ludicrous because when it comes down to it, most Americans, the average American can't come up with $400 cash in an emergency without borrowing it or, um, or, you know, borrowing it from someone or putting it on a credit card. So at the same time, a lot of the weekends from Black Friday all the way through the holidays, people are spending $400 plus a weekend on gifts and buying stuff. So it's really important to recognize that we're we're in this stigma of consumerism that is really dangerous sometimes for so many of us, just assuming that's what we need to do. Yeah. Uh, and so really what it comes down to it is when it comes to financial education, you can type into Google and get solid answers on just about anything when it comes to ways to deal with money. But the thing is, it's just like we're talking here. It's about building long-term healthy habits, which is why as someone with this experience, I'm like, Hey, I can be there online. I'm going to keep making silly content and I'm always available to chat about it. That's the important part for me. That's why it's called, that's why the new name is Greg chats cash because mm. it's about connecting with me about conversation. It's more of a conversation than presentation is really mm. what I try to strive to do. I love that. I absolutely love that. And one last question I definitely want to hit on is that, um, so, uh, so say, you know, we're adults now and we've, we've passed the, the kids stage and we're here with our issues and our, so maybe we have our, our bad habits. Maybe all of us have bad habits. Um, sure. <laughs> so, how can we, so how can we start now, start building healthier habits that are long lasting? Hmm. Well, um, Okay, so the five steps uh, when it comes to habit change that I think of on a regular basis, the first step is awareness. Okay, there's something I want to change. Maybe it's my coffee drinking, for example. Awareness is the first step. Um, and actually, this is one of the reasons I talk about this stuff so much for me, too, is talking about it online and putting it out there has been a huge factor. But once again, awareness is the first step. The second step is conversations. This is like I say, I put some stuff on social media. Not everyone needs to do that. Have a conversation with people that you trust, that you care about, that care about you. Step two is have conversations. Just get that ball rolling because the more you have conversations, the more comfortable you will be exploring that habit or that idea. Third thing, information gathering. Look for resources beyond that person that you talk to. Look into finding experts, like I mentioned before, with mental health. Maybe it's just reaching out to, you know, looking it up, Google it in your area, mental health, and then put in your area code. 
and you'll find places that have some sort of free and accessible way to take a look at like, okay, how can I be assessed for this? And then um, after you start doing that information gathering, make sure that you're looking for alternative sources too, because a lot of times the first few hits on any online search are just going to be the ones that are really search engine optimized. They're not necessarily always going to be the best resources. So looking for alternative views and perspectives. Mm -hmm. And then the fourth thing, deliberation. So once again, it's awareness, conversations, information gathering, deliberation, sitting back and don't, don't think about it on your own and decide on your own that you can go back to those conversations with those trusted uh, friends, family, and people in your lives. And then fifth one, and usually the hardest take action. You know, I, I would say having conversations with people and taking action, that fifth step is really difficult sometimes. But once again, it's about that cycle. It's a rinse, repeat action, uh, I'm sorry, awareness, conversations, information gathering, deliberation, take action. And then you'll see like, okay, is this action working? Well, what? And then you go back again to the beginning. What's my awareness of the action I've taken? Has this been helpful? And then just rinse and repeat. It's awesome. And thank you so much for giving the action steps because that's where I know that a lot of people can get caught up or just don't know what to do. So that has been so, so helpful. And I just want to say thank you so much for all the amazing tips, value, everything that you provided today and just being super open and having an awesome, awesome conversation. Thank you so much. Oh, it's my pleasure. Thanks for having me on. And thank you for making this uh, making this content. It's super important that this is becoming a more comfortable conversation. And if, if we're not taking the efforts right away and figuring it out as we go along, um, there, this is how you build community around um, around healthy choices, habits, and conversations. So I love what you're doing. Thank you for doing this. Thank you so much. I am so yeah. I really hope that, like I said, this podcast is going to create more open conversations around the topics of depression and suicide for everyone. So I'm really pumped. Absolutely, absolutely.